0: Uh, before we jump into the message, I, I feel like I need to just say a word of confession. You know, confession's good for the soul, right? So I need to confess something. So we just sang a minute ago, you are worthy of your name. And like a lot of the modern songs, that phrase repeated kind of over and over and over. And I was running around before service doing different things, getting ready. And I heard the band going through that. And I thought in my, the dark part of my heart, what's a stupid thing to say? Like, you're worthy of your name? Like, of course a person's worthy of their own name. Like, what does that even mean? It seems like a, a meaningless thing to say over and over and over again. And I was just a little bit snooty and judgmental, if I'm honest uh, about that, until during the first service, the 9 o'clock service, I sit right over here with my family, and I was, I was singing along with them, and it hit me when we got to that song that, that God... Uh, Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh, that be God pre-existing and then come into the earth and live among, uh, in a human body and be God right there in the flesh. And that we're saying to him, you're worthy of that description. You're worthy of that name. No one else in history has been worthy of that name. And we're declaring, rightfully so, that, that Jesus was and is and it really is a pretty powerful, and so I felt pretty convicted sitting there right over here during first service, and I felt like I should, I, I should admit that to you. So we're in the middle of a series called In the Middle, where we, we've said that at the beginning of a, a challenge or a project or a race or whatever, In the beginning, there's all this energy and excitement, and you're striving to do this new thing, and at the end, you see the finish line, you're almost done, But it's in the middle, that's when life really happens. That's when the rubber hits the road because in the middle, that's when you're tired and you don't have that initial exuberance and yet you've still got a long way to go and sometimes you don't know how long you have to go. Some of you might be in the middle right now. You you may be in a situation with a relationship or with a job or finances or health where you don't know what the end is. You're, You're past the initial and you're not to the end and you don't know when the end is and right now it's just hard. And every day's hard. And, and I think it's powerful when you're in those moments to acknowledge that Jesus is worthy of the name that we've given him. And that God's going to come alongside you in the middle. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here for that. I hope that we encourage you today, if that's you specifically. Now, I want to tell a story to start um, this morning. And, and I'll get back to the end of it later. So a friend of mine, Bill, tells when he was years ago, when he was teaching his son, Billy... Uh, to play baseball. I don't know if there's any baseball families in the room, uh, but Billy was little, so he was just getting started on baseball. And so Bill would throw the ball to him, and he'd catch it, and they'd throw it back, and they were going back and forth. And Bill noticed that Billy did really well if the ball was somewhere in here, like if he made a good throw he was good. Billy did pretty good if it was up high. He could catch it pretty well. But if, if he, Bill threw it a little bit low, Billy got confused, and he would, he would kind of try to do this, and he would get down low. And if he threw it real low, Bill almost fell, Billy almost fell over trying to get to the ball because he, he would try to catch it the same way. And so Bill's like, hey, buddy, you gotta, you got to flip your glove over. And so he got it, and he's pretty good. The eyes you know, brightened up. He got pretty good at that. And so then they would throw a few low, and he got good at that. And then he would try to confuse him. He'd throw some high ones and then back to a low one, and he'd forget again. He had to kind of go through the whole process. But eventually, he was getting pretty good at going back and forth with his glove. And I want you to put a pin in that. We'll come back to that story in just a minute, because I need to pause at this point and introduce to you some special guests This morning. So this series is called in the middle, but in the, in the middle of the, in the middle series, we're going to introduce you to our residents and it's all going to fit together. Uh, You'll see that hopefully by the end of the message. So in just a minute, I'm going to invite our 2023 residents to come out on stage. Now, I don't know what you were like when you were 20, but I promise you looking out across, you're a scary group to look at. I just want to say ahead of time, you're a little frightening, some of you more than others, you know who you are, and you're just a little more frightening, you're just a little little, uh, nervous. So backstage, they're very likely a little bit nervous. Maybe a lot nervous, but certainly a little bit nervous. And the way that you welcome them out will help that. So like if you're like, oh, that's great, you know, that's not going to do much to help them. But if you're exuberant, in your thing, that would be really helpful. So would you help me welcome our 2023 residents to the stage uh, today? Thank you. Look how excited they were just just to meet you. That's good. So this is, our, this is our 2023 crowd, three of the four. You'll notice there's four on the, on the screen, but three of the four are here today. And we're just going to introduce them, let them get to know you a little bit. And I've got a question for each of them that will give you an overall picture of what's happening. So, Abby, we're going to start with you, if you want to introduce yourself to the group. First
1: of all, I just don't appreciate the exposing of us being nervous backstage. That just felt a little... like we, Everybody we except for Abby confident. was nervous.
0: Let me just go ahead no, and no, no, clarify. no, no.
1: It. I'm just saying, you know. Okay. We could have been... Com, cool, collected, and you'd have no
0: idea. Okay. So I'm going to have to come after you now. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, please. Is this please a challenge? <laughs> <laughs> That's what this is. Okay, Abby, no, please what your you introduce yourself?
1: Um, hi, I'm Abby Morris. I'm originally from Colorado, um, but I live in Texas now. So if you've already met me, uh, oh, yeah.
0: Hi. We live in Texas.
1: Um, and, but if I've already told you one or the other, I promise both answers are true. Um, I get confused sometimes, but um, I am going into my junior year at Lipscomb University in Nashville, and I'm studying ministry and psychology. Okay.
0: So one of the big things about residency is being able to invest in them coming along behind us. Ministry works that way as everybody uh, feeds into other people. So have you had anybody who's especially helpful in your life who's, who's mentored you and poured into you? Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so I actually have two answers to this question. Um, but first, I think it's important to distinguish why I have two answers, and that's because I feel like there's two realms of ministry, the first being like capital M ministry, which is like to me like vocational ministry, which is like what the four of us do and what all staff at a church do, um, uh, which is like our calling, our vocation, what we want to do as a career ministry versus lowercase m ministry, which is like our charge as believers and our responsibility as um, followers of Christ to minister to the world. Um, and to be ministers of reconciliation and just that kind of difference. Um, So the first influence that I have had in my world of ministry is my capital M influence, which is my youth pastor, Becky. Um, She was the youth pastor at my church in Colorado right before we moved to Texas, and she was the first woman pastor that I had ever um, been a member of a congregation under, um, and she just showed me a lot of what it looked like to be a super strong leader in a in a world that doesn't have a lot of women in it. Um, and when I moved to Texas and COVID happened, I really felt this pull to like go into ministry. And she was the first person I called to talk that through, and she really helped like affirm that within me. And so she really helped push me and help me distinguish what my calling is. And then the second influence is my parents. Um, they are amazing, first of all, um, but they also. We're deacons at our church in Colorado, which I think is incredible to have that kind of influence in your life from such a young age, i.e., birth. Um, but just having that influence of people in your life working in the church and being leaders um, and just pouring Christ into you in every aspect of your life, not just on Sunday
0: mornings. Okay. Very good. Welcome, Abby, if you will. Next in our row here is Jordan. Jordan, you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hey, guys. My name is Jordan. I want to start by letting the record state that I've never been nervous a day in my life. Thank you very much, Andy, though. Um, So my name is Jordan. Um, I'm originally from near Grand Rapids, Michigan. So shout out to all the Michiganders in here and online. I know my family is watching back home. Um, And I go to Johnson University now, which is in Knoxville. And I'm studying youth ministry and preaching.
0: I need to you know, sure you can clap for it, sorry. I need to I need to clarify none of them were quite this sassy first hour. I think I think round two it's good that we don't have three services because I don't know that I'd want to do that uh, with this group. So Jordan, your question was what area of, of residency have you chosen and why is that important to you?
2: Yeah, so I am on the student ministry track here. So I'll be working with the middle and high schoolers all summer with Abby and Rob and everyone else. Um, and the reason I'm there is I got my calling when I was actually in high school and I just see a need. So you guys are probably not strangers to the fact that uh, everyone says that this generation is the most anxious and depressed generation. I'm sure you've all heard that a thousand times. But I also think that this generation has the most hope and I think they're the strongest. I think they're the most resilient and I think they're going to create the most change, not only in our world as a whole, but also in our church as well. And so I'm just really excited to be a part of that and to partner alongside students as they're figuring out uh, what that means for them uh, in the season of life that they're in, in the season that they're going to be entering into, whether that's going to middle school, high school or college. Um, and just partner with them to kind of share what I've learned along my journey as well.
0: All right. Welcome. So if you're, if you're looking in reverse order on the screen to the ones we have here on stage, so Abby and Jordan are in student ministry, so they'll be all over the church doing lots of things, but primarily with our teenagers uh, Carly and Meredith will be working primarily with children's, although they'll be all over the church as well. Uh, Meredith uh, needed to take a vacation. Meredith's been on the job like six days, already needed a day off. She's a little bit, you know, <laughs> wore out from all the work we've given her from six days. And turns out she was more uh, devoted to her brother's graduation than she was to us and maybe more devoted than she was to Jesus. We'll have to talk to her about that later. Um, but she needed a day off, so she's, she's up there doing that. But we did want to introduce her to you, so if you take a second and watch the screen.
3: Hi, my name is Meredith, and I'm going to be working in the children's ministry this summer. Um, and I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio, but I just finished my sophomore year at Lipscomb University, where I'm studying children's ministry and psychology. And I'm super excited to be here, and I can't wait to meet you all when I come back. I think there's a lot of things that I can say for this question because there's so many things that I love about the church and want to see grow in the church, but the biggest thing that's really been on my mind lately is the idea of bringing the whole person into the church and not just the Sunday morning version of a person. I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are just really scared to be their whole selves in church or to bring just things that they're struggling with into the church. And something that I hope for is to see people be able to do that more and just to really be open about what they're going through and who they are. And one way to do that is just talking more about mental health or other current issues that people may be struggling with. And Wellspring has done a great job of doing that for me so far and just wanting to know me and welcoming me in. And I can't wait to learn how to do that better for other people.
0: All right, sure. I t- you know, First Service said the same thing, they clap for her, she's not even here. Like I don't think really you have to clap for her She's on vacation today. I don't think she deserves that. But that's okay. That's fine. We'll pass along that you clap for her. Uh, and, you know, every every year uh, we've, we've had seems like a great crop of residents. And this group seems like it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, last year's was a bit of a dud. Last year's crop is a bit of a dud. And so we're grateful that a new group is coming in, bringing some fresh life into the program to kind of turn a page from previous...
4: know, even though you're being rude to me, I actually was going to encourage you that I was nervous, so you're right about that one. You got that
0: one. I'm just teasing. We love to Carly, why are you here? Why are you still here? Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. Carly's going to introduce herself first, and then she's going to tell us what she's learned. So, Carly.
4: First, I'm going to say I'm being held hostage, so SOS, (laughs) if anybody wants to save me.
0: Um, Our residency program is the Hotel California. That is how that works. So that's good.
4: Do I need to introduce myself? Or do You're sure? be
0: it, I'm sorry. Sage is yours, Carly.
4: Okay. My name is Carly. If you don't know me, I am old news at this point, but I have been here since last January working with the kids, um, and it's been wonderful. I also go to Lipscomb with Abby and Meredith. Um, I will be graduating next year, like next May, and I am studying theology and ministry. And I'll answer my question, too. Yeah, I'll answer just your comb- question. I'll tell us what you've it. learned,
0: and why in the world are you still here? Yes, tell us. Okay.
4: That. So, when I sat down to think about how I was going to respond to what I've learned being here at Wellspring for over a year, I was overwhelmed, but in the best way, because there are so many things that God has taught me since being here. Um, And it just made me really excited to be here again, because I remembered all of it over again. Um, So, some highlights. I would say first, is I have been able to learn what a healthy church looks like. Um, And that is on two different levels, but I think that's really important, because going into ministry especially... I now know what to look for when I'm getting other jobs or I'm looking at different congregations or even as I just figure out what God's desire for the church is. um, I think Wellspring has shown me a lot of that, which is really sweet. Um, And again, it's on two levels. So from the staff perspective, I have seen that like how things like how to handle church finances wisely or plan events or prioritize prayer, um, things like that. And then from you all, I have seen how you love your church body so well. And how you serve each other so faithfully. And it has been a huge testament to me of, again, God's design for the church and God's character um, for us. And so that's been really sweet and you guys are awesome. Secondly, I would say that I've learned um, something on a more personal level. That sometimes you don't know the gifts God has given you until you do something for the first time. And so I had to do a lot of things being here this summer. um, And I think we can all relate to that at some point. Because God has given all of us gifts to edify the church body, and at some point, we have to do something for the first time. And it may feel new and uncomfortable, or we may feel unequipped to do it, um, which I felt a lot here. Um, But in those things, like planning events, or having conversations with kids, or teaching different age groups, things like that, um, I was given a lot of freedom to do new things. And every time, or most times, I would stop at the invitation and say, well, I can't do this. I'm not equipped to do this. Um, And then I would get some encouragement and no choice but to do it. And what I realized when I stepped out of my comfort zone um, was two things. One, more of who God has designed me to be, I was able to discover that. But more importantly, I was able to see how incredible God is, that he makes all of us so unique to make up the church together, um, which was a really cool thing to see and learn about um, and just get put into perspective. Um but yes, whenever I've stepped out of my comfort zone, that has been a place that I've learned a lot about me and about my future, of wherever I'm going. Um and I think Wellspring is a great place to figure those kind of things out, which is why I chose to stay and felt God leading me to stay. Um because again, I've been given freedom to do a lot of things that I didn't think I'd get to do until out of school at least. Um and in those things I have felt challenged and pushed out of my comfort zone and all the things Um, But I've also been feeling incredibly encouraged and supported in the fact that whether I made a mistake, which I did a lot, or I succeeded in whatever task I was given, I knew that I was being guided and led by people who loved me and supported me. So that has been really empowering why I chose to stay. And something I tell my kids every Sunday um, in elementary is that Sunday is my favorite day of the week because I get to be here with you all. So I am humbled and honored that I get to be here. Thank God constantly for it because I am learning a lot. So Thank you guys for putting up with me for a little bit
0: longer. For sure. So this this is the third crop of residents we've had. So uh, Carly will be here through the end of the summer. Uh, The other three will be here till December. Um, And I keep thinking at some point we're going to get a dud crop. We're going to get a group to just, you know, kind of, I don't think this is the year. These guys are already showing themselves to be fantastic. You've already seen some of that. Would you just, oh, wait, I almost forgot one more thing. This is real important. Uh, we, we have them over to our houses to feed them dinner a couple times a week. Uh, some of you have done that in the past. Some of you have not yet done that. Some of you right now are thinking that's an obligation, like as a part of the church I should do that to fulfill it. That's the wrong mindset. If you don't have them in your life at some point in the next several months, you're missing out on that. Your kids are missing out on that, certainly. Uh, so do something with that. If you don't know how to sign up, let us know at the information table. I can tell you that, or we'll send out emails. But... You should invite them over and feed them. They're a great group. So will you ta- one more time, say thank you to them as they go off the stage. <laughs> the future of the church is in good hands, for sure. And we're getting a picture of that uh, once again this summer. So I want to I focus you for just a second on uh, what the New Testament church looks like. About the church being in good hands today. I want you to think back to the New Testament church. When you read through the pages of the New Testament, what you see is a church that was urgent. People were being arrested for their faith. Uh, Hebrews says that property was being confiscated from them because of their faith. Thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ. The gospel is spreading over the known world. And yet, uh, what they had to deal with was almost unrecognizable to us today. The life that they lived was so, most, so much different. I really believe that the, the leaders of that day, certainly the church members of that day, thought that Jesus would return in their lifetime. So there's an urgency about that, that he's coming back maybe next week or next month, maybe today, but certainly my family is not going to go without me. He's coming back before I'm gone. Like That's going to happen. The church had no buildings to, to meet in that they owned. They had no political clout or leverage. They didn't have books and resources, seminaries or seminars. And yet the gospel... Without any of those things that we take for granted, the gospel was spreading over the known world because of the urgency, I believe, that they had about Jesus' return. And it was within that mindset that Paul wrote to Timothy what I believe is the secret sauce of the early church. So if you want to know what, what, was, what did they have that we don't seem to have, it was this verse right here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, you then, my son, Paul, the mentor, writing to Timothy, the, the pastor of the Ephesus church, kind of like a, a residency situation there where he's mentoring him. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. How do you do that? Well, he's going to tell us in the next verse. It says, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. That's what the gospel looked like in the beginning, is everybody passing it along to those around them. That was the beginning. We're talking about being in the middle here. So the beginning, the gospel looked like that. At the end, the gospel looks like Jesus making everything new. In the end, the gospel looks like Jesus wiping away every tear from every eye. But we're not at the end. We're not at the beginning. We're in the middle. And in the middle, things don't feel new today in the church. In the middle, we still have our fair share of tears today. Some of you right now are going through terrible struggles and, and, and hurts and longings. It doesn't feel like Jesus making everything new and the tears being wiped away. We're in the middle And in the middle, with all of our freedom, with all of our affluence, with all of our technology and communication that the early church couldn't even fathom to spread the gospel, in the middle, the universal church is not thriving. It is in certain parts of the world, but not in a lot of places, and the gospel is not spreading over the known world. Again, certain parts of the world see that, but you don't see a lot of it in the West, The news for the Western church is not always very strong. And I think it's because in the middle, even with all the stuff we have that they didn't have, in the middle, we've lost the simplicity of the secret sauce that Paul gave to Timothy. The things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Do you see the four generations of mentoring happening here? You have Paul, the mentor... Instructing Timothy, the pastor, who entrusts the gospel to reliable people, that's the congregation, who then teaches the world, everybody else. It all spreads from there. Paul to Timothy to reliable people to others, mentor to pastor to congregation to the world. The key question, I think, for us to look at, you guys to look at, also the key question for me to look at, the key question for every church and Christian to look at is, am I a reliable person? the gospel has been entrusted to me, am I reliable? So when the gospel is passed down to me or you from family or from a teacher, from a mentor, from a church or a friend, when the gospel is passed down to you, whether you were a child or a teenager or even hearing the gospel for the first time as an adult, when the gospel is passed down to you or to me, am I reliable with what's been entrusted to me? So Amy's been watching this uh, show recently on on television, and it's it's a bit of a drama show. Uh, It's kind of got a British monarchy feel to it. I've not really kept up with all of it, if I'm honest. Uh, I know little bits about it. I've seen little bits while I'm in the room. But in one of the recent shows she watched, there was a scene where the queen finds out uh, that her son is expecting a baby. Her son and daughter-in-law are expecting a child, and it's going to be their first grandchild. Now, I just want you to know my testosterone went down 10 points, even the fact that I knew that, right? It's it's not my show, But but the queen goes to her husband, the king, and says, you're going to be a grandpa, and the exciting part of that wasn't that he was going to be a grandpa. That was exciting. It wasn't that his son was going to be a father for the first time. That was exciting. But what the queen was most excited about was the king's legacy would continue. The king, who wasn't in great health, was going to have his legacy continue because he would have an heir beyond the first generation. It's a little bit the way that I think the early church saw the gospel. They didn't have buildings, they didn't have any political clout, they had no leverage, they didn't have all of our resources or communication ability or freedom. So if the gospel was entrusted to them, they best be reliable to pass it along to someone else because they had nothing but the gospel. And the gospel was enough. I mean, today, because we have so many things beyond the gospel, today, I think sometimes we get distracted as a church, and we put our emphasis on all the other things besides that one thing which is so vital. I think the church is designed to be kind of like a hospital, and people come in from the world without the gospel, and they need the the life-transforming, eternity-altering treatment that only the gospel provides. And they go to the church, the only place it's available to get that. And sometimes they get everything but that. Let's picture this way. Let's say you went, let's say you had a, some sort of terminal disease, and there was one particular hospital who had the treatment to this one particular disease. And so you had all kinds of symptoms, all kinds of pain, all kinds of fear. And so you go to that hospital. You go to great lengths to get into that hospital, and they're doing the triage with you to find out what's going on. And they're like, "Hey, before we talk to doctors and treatment and all that stuff, can we can we get you a facial?" Like a facial, I'm here for. I'm in pain. Can you help me out? Okay, well we'll get to the medicine stuff later. But we want to take you down to our spa, give you a massage, may get your nails done. Like, are you crazy? I'm here to get my treatment. I'm sick. Like, okay, well we'll get to that. But first, let's go by the gift shop because we got all this neat stuff in the gift shop. May get a card uh, for your family or something like that. You would, you would, might even leave the hospital because that's not why you came. All that stuff's great if you're getting the treatment. And I think the early church had the gospel, and that's all they had. They didn't own any buildings. They had no political clout, no leverage, but they had been entrusted with the gospel, and that's all they had, but it was okay because that's all they needed. Today, the church has been deluded with everything else, and we've lost track of that which is essential. So that's the beginning. Let's look at what happens at the end. This is a fascinating passage to me. Revelation 12 says... Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough, the dragon, and they lost their place in heaven. This is describing Satan being kicked out of heaven by the armies of God. Since the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. So uh, Satan stood up and said, I, I think I'd like to be God. I think I'd like to worship Not to go to God, but to me. And some of the angels said, you know what? We think he's, maybe he is the right guy because he was so charming and beautiful. And so Satan and all of those angels, about a third of the angels were kicked out of heaven. It says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Jesus has come. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So Satan is described here as an accuser, one who accuses the followers of God, one who accuses us. And I just want to say to you, many of the nasty things in your mind about you are not true. Many of the accusations in your head, the insecurities that you wrestle with and strive to get over in your own in your own mind, are not from you, they're not from the Lord, they're not true, and the liar, Satan's also called a liar, is accusing you and filling your head with that hellish garbage. And it's not true. Our accuser, the liar, wants to take you out. And he uses his accusations and lies to do so. So this verse says we are living in a time... When salvation has come, we're living under the power of the almighty God in the kingdom of our God and under the authority of Jesus, our Messiah. And it says the church triumphed over Satan by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell on them, but woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. So when Jesus won and Satan lost and Jesus resurrected from the grave, Satan was hurled down and he was filled with fury because he knew his time was short. Now, if Satan was filled with fury 2,000 years ago because his time was short, what kind of mood do you think he's in now? It's not good. He's an accuser and a liar who's filled, according to Scripture, with indescribable fury Because his time keeps getting shorter. Now, if that's true, why in the world would we think that the middle would be easy? Why in the middle do we think that the middle would be filled with with health and prosperity and all the stuff that sometimes churches say? It's not going to be easy. But let me go back one verse, because I skipped the most important part. Verse 11 says, they triumphed over... Satan, by the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So first of all, there's sacrifice involved. They didn't love their lives so much to shrink back from the gospel. They were willing to face hardship, struggle, even to the point of losing their life for the gospel. But how did they triumph over Satan? First of all, by the blood of the lamb. What's that talking about? Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for us, triumphed over death by raising from the dead. He's worthy of the name. We just sang a minute ago. And because of that, they triumphed over Satan. But there's more than that. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. We are called to be witnesses. Not necessarily experts, not prosecutors, certainly not judges, but witnesses. Witnesses. Paul might say reliable witnesses of what we have seen and heard and experienced. And because we've been given so much, Jesus gave us plain language about what that means. Jesus said, everyone who has been given much, much more will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, that word entrusted is the same word we read about from Paul, entrust to reliable witnesses. The one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So the question is, to us, the church, the followers of Jesus in the middle, the question is, are we reliable with what we've been entrusted? We're in the middle. We have far more freedoms than the early church could have even dreamed of when they were being arrested for their faith and killed for their faith and having their stuff taken away. We have far more resources than they did at the beginning here in the middle. We have buildings and and uh, technology and ability to travel. It's amazing. We have a far greater way to communicate than they had in the beginning with things like even like microphones and the internet and FaceTime that we can talk to anybody on the globe in just a matter of seconds. But in the process, in the process of getting all those extra great tools, in the process, we have missed out and neglected and become less reliable. The average Christian today is less than fully reliable with the gospel that they've been entrusted. I want us to look in the mirror. And as always, that starts with me. I've been entrusted with much. Am I reliable in what I've been entrusted with? Are you reliable with what you've been entrusted with? I said a minute ago that uh, my friend Bill was teaching his son Billy to, to play ball. And he would catch it well here or here. But if it went down low... He, had to, he struggled to get his mitt turned over, and so Bill was helping him with that. Well, by the time he got figured out what was going on with his glove, uh, his wife said, hey, can you, Bill, can you come and help me out with dinner for a second? So he said, sure. So he goes inside, and he's, he's doing some stuff there in, in the house with dinner, and he goes to wash his hands before he goes back out to play baseball. And when he goes to wash his hands, he looks out into the backyard and sees Billy with the neighbor kid, and they were playing baseball in the same place that Bill had been playing with him just a moment earlier. As he's washing his hands, he sees, he sees him throwing the ball. And the neighbor kid, just like Billy before him, was pretty good at catching up here. But when he got down low, the neighbor kid would scrunch down just like Billy had done. And he said his heart kind of beamed as he watched Billy go over and say, nobody, you got to turn the glove over. And he showed him what he had just been taught just a moment ago. And the kid, just like Billy, was beginning to get it. And they, they were playing this together and he said you know it hit me Billy can't play much better at all than this other kid can like he's he he just starting out he's just beginning to figure out had, how to even work the glove but he knew one thing and that one thing was something the neighbor kid didn't know and so that one thing was something that he could help him with I think one of the reasons we're not very reliable a lot of us there's a lot of reasons we get distracted We get pulled too many directions, we're too busy, all of us. But I think one of the big things that we get distracted by is we think we just don't know enough. How in the world am I gonna tell somebody else how to do this life when I only know this much? You know, the bottom line is, we don't have to know all that much to know enough to be reliable with what we've been entrusted. The gospel says that Jesus is worthy of the name God. He is God in the flesh. He's the only person in history that's ever been worthy of that title. And God came to earth to live among us and die for our sins. And then when they killed him for the sins we earned, God raised him from the dead. And now he's alive, ruling over all of us, allowing us the opportunity to come back to God. And if this is the first time you've ever heard anything about Jesus, and all you know is what I just told you, you know enough to tell somebody else who doesn't know what you know. You've been entrusted now with the seed of the gospel. And I've been entrusted with the seed of the gospel. And most of us know a whole lot more than what I just told you. And most of us have been given the task of being reliable witnesses with what we've seen and heard and learned and thought and experienced. When the church has gotten distracted by all the other things that we have to offer. And our world has shown it. Our world is looking a lot like what they would look like if you took the gospel away out of the hands and mouth of the church. Why don't you bow your head and let me pray with us, for us today? God, I pray just now that you would lead us, your church, to get laser focused on, on what our number one responsibility is here as your followers we're called to be reliable witnesses to what we've seen and heard and know God for some in this room they've never committed themselves to that they've never accepted that as truth they've never turned the nature of their life around that reality and I pray that today would be the day they do that today would be a day they pledge themselves to you today would be a day they would focus in on what truly matters most God all of us all of us find ourselves distracted by responsibilities by worries and cares even by good religious things that are not the most important thing we find ourselves distracted so that we're less than reliable. Help us be a church that's reliable in your eyes. Help us to learn to abide with you, to walk with you, as you lead us every step of the way. We trust you, God. We pray in the name of Jesus.